welcome to the Guitar Omni Podcast. I'm Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Each episode, we'll chat with a featured guest from the classical guitar world. Candid conversations, unique experiences, and career observations from the people who best know the guitar. This is your master class in life and the guitar. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or see Carl Woolwind Guitarist on Facebook. So I'm here with Jessica Barron, and she is the founder and executive director of Guitars in the Classroom. And I just found out that uh, that organization is 21 years old, and that, that makes me question, where have I been for the past 21 years? Hi, Jess. How are you doing? Very happy to be here and visiting with you, Carl. Thanks for the invitation. Delighted to have you. So, so tell me a little bit about the organization and how it got started and all of that kind of stuff, because it sounds, I know that you're into some really, really exciting stuff, and, and I want to know more. Well, I would tell you, first and foremost, that this is a, a labor of love on the part of hundreds of individuals, and it has been since day one, uh, sort of a magnet for great people. And people who come into the organization to volunteer or to teach with us or to learn with us, at some point, look up and around and say, wow, I haven't met anybody unkind since That's I fantastic. started interacting with you guys. Yeah. Why is everybody so nice? Yeah. And I said, because it's self-selecting. You know, you have to have a heart for music and a heart for kids. And right there, that makes you have a lot in common with everybody else. So, you know, we talk about me being the founder and the executive yeah. director, but somebody's got to do that job. But this is really about all the different people that help out. Wow. That's fantastic. And how, how did it get started? What was what was your involvement with it at the beginning? And, and what, uh, how, what tell me, tell me about that. Well, the way that this got started is a long and complicated story. So the short answer, <laughs> true, it's very true. Short, so the short answer is that I was with and married to Luthier Rick Turner for 17 years. And every year we would go to the NAMM show. Okay. And I would meet these fabulous people who are part of the music products industry. And we'd wind up out to dinner or sitting in their booth and talking about what they make and, you know, their vision for the future. And so that was a piece of how this got started is that I had wonderful friendships from going to NAM, Okay. And meeting people in person who had a vested interest in essentially saving the music. People were pretty up in arms that they had never been able to get guitar programs going. Mm -hmm. broadly in the schools and that many school districts were putting all of their music resources into band and string programs and choral programs as had always been done sure. and there was nothing wrong with that but it was just that there was no inclusion of guitar well as a, as a young guitarist who, who didn't have access to school programs in any way meaningful way as as a young guitarist um i i, I can say that uh it, it negative, negatively affected my experience as a, as a student. You know, I would have loved yeah. to have had the resources available to, to do things with guitar. I'd been playing guitar since the age of six. And, you know, I was very active in, in the music programs in my school as, as a violinist. 
but you know, anytime I tried to do anything guitar related, it was it was completely shot down. And I always I always describe it. It's kind of funny because like when I left high school to go to college, all of my friends assumed that I was going to play violin because none of them knew that I played guitar, <laughs> you know, which was really funny. But, uh, uh -huh. you know, it's and I just, you know, there's there's been massive changes. I'm in Ohio, so it's only been in the past, I don't know, maybe five or six years that this conversation has even even been started in the, the, uh, the OMEA, the Ohio Music Educators Association. Um, and they're, they're, they're including guitar now in their, their festival thing where the students can go and play a piece and be, be adjudicated. Um, but the getting guitar classes available to, to students in public schools is, is, it's not really happening here very quickly in comparison to some of the other places that I know about in the country. Well, um, my hope is that Glenn McCarthy listens to this podcast because Glenn <laughs> I, have you ever met Glenn before? No. Who's, who's that? So Glenn's amazing. Glenn's great. He's a guitar instructor, um, and he runs the teaching guitar workshops that are sponsored by the Guitars on Marketing Association, okay. um, which is called Gamma. And okay. Gamma operates um, in tandem with NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants, and Gamma's stock and trade are their teaching guitar workshops, which travel around the country every summer, and they train existing music educators, right. particularly band and string mm -hmm. and choral directors, to play the guitar and to teach the guitar and to cultivate guitar as one of the music electives right. at the middle and high school level. And there are some, I think, elementary teachers that get involved with TGW, but the, the focus has been all of all of that. So I would say if you want to talk to a great person yeah. about breaking down that barrier, Glenn is fantastic. Yeah. Well, I know that one of the things when I was teaching at Otterbein University, that's, that was one of the things that, that was um, actually part of the reason why I was hired um, was to develop this guitar methods curriculum to teach people who were going to be banned and orchestra and choir directors. And I know part of the conversation that's going on in Ohio is that that's great, and it's it's fantastic that we're, that we're we're doing that. Um, but some of the the people in the guitar world in Ohio are really pushing to try to get guitar experts into those positions. Um, and I know that, that Claire Callahan, before she retired um, at, at the, the Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, was uh, really really pushing to have a guitar education degree as part of their curriculum, which I, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. You know, and I, I know that when I was teaching, there were a few students that wanted to be music educators, but they also wanted guitar to be their, their primary instrument as mm -hmm. they studied. And that was kind of a strange, you know, it was always something that had to be fought for and it never quite fit yeah. very well for, for them. Well, you know, yeah, it's a problem, but do you know, do you know the history of the bias? Do you know why that happened? Please tell me. <laughs> okay, so I am not the be-all, end-all expert on this. I can only share what's been shared with me, and there's probably a heck of a lot more to the story. But with that qualifier, I will say that the guitar was seen by the classical world as sort of an anomaly mm -hmm. because the guitar was not loud enough mm -hmm. to present 
as a solo lead instrument in an orchestral setting. Sure. It didn't cut through. Right. And as an instrument, you have to lean in to hear it, right? right? So the great players of our time and the generation before, you know, if you were listening to Christopher Parkening or Scovia, you're not sitting back and listening to a massive orchestra. Right. In the giant concert hall, yeah. Right. With the sailing, soaring, high-pitched violin cutting Mm -hmm. through. The whole orchestra would have to put dampers on their instruments in order to hear that guitar. So I think it really wasn't understood in the context of what was being funded and where on earth are you going to put an acoustic guitar in a marching band? Right. <laughs> where are you even going to put an electric guitar unless you've got a traveling amplifier? Right. So I think the logistics and the construction of the instrument and the whole voice of the instrument was not really understood as something that fit into what already existed. And it had been seen in popular culture as part of the band that accompanies a singer Mm -hmm. right so fighting for a place in that world has been hard and i bet you if you interviewed um muriel anderson about it Mm -hmm. or sharon isbin uh you'd get a story right about this right so the other piece is that if you think about what's going on with guitars in the 1960s and 70s Guitars were associated with a counterculture. Sure. So what self-respecting middle-aged band director (laughs) is going to invite that element into the middle of their high school music program? Right. Just imagine the guff they could have taken from parents. Right. 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 So I just think our time has come, but we've made it be so by stubborn adherence to the idea that there has to be a place for this. Yes. But even in a large school district like ours in San Diego, you can count on one hand the number of guitar programs. Wow. Huh. How many schools? Well, we have uh, 228 elementary schools, and I don't know how many high schools. But, you know, Guitars in the Classroom, and we also call ourselves Guitars in Ukes in the Classroom, is prevalent in this district and also in Los Angeles Unified School District. But what we've done to try to get guitar going, we've worked very closely with Lawrence Juber, who oh, was, yeah. um, Lawrence helped me create guitars in the classroom oh, a bazillion years ago. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was brought in to train the music educators in L.A. Unified, the elementary music educators, Okay. Uh, in playing ukulele with the developmental methodology that I created. And uh, my, my method turns guitar and ukulele methods on their heads because my background is not as a classical musician upholding the tradition. Okay. My background is as a developmental educator and a therapist. Okay. So I look at how do people learn? Why do people get discouraged? Why do they give up? Right. How can we fix that? And I analyzed guitar education, and it was very obvious to me that guitar teachers were guitar players first. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there was no no credentialing program to learn how to teach the guitar. Right. And so most guitar teachers that are teaching and were teaching in music stores never had somebody sit down with them and say, do you know about learning styles? Right. 
Do you understand that some people have a visual spatial disability and they can't track the fingerboard of a guitar? Yeah. Do you understand some people have an auditory processing disorder and they can't parse what you're telling them in the sequence in which you say it, which means they can't follow your verbal instructions? Yeah. Do you understand that some people have no ability to make their fingers work independent of each other? So when you tell them to change chords, you might as well be telling them to drive a truck off a cliff. Right. So nobody tells the guitar teacher how to work with people who learn differently. So the guitar teacher winds up getting frustrated and saying, I'm trying so hard to show you how to do this. Right. Why, why won't you learn? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But if the student doesn't learn in the same way the teacher teaches, right. they're left on their own with an instrument they can't navigate and sore fingers. And they go, what am I doing this for? Right. And they walk right. away. Right. And so I guess what I'm saying is, there has to be a way to improve guitar instruction so that the teachers understand the craft of teaching mm -hmm. instead of wanting to just convey what they know about the instrument and how to play it. Right. Okay. There's a disconnect. Sure. So our work takes care of that. We eliminate the disconnect because we teach like teachers. Because we're teaching teachers. Because you understand that. Yes, you understand that. Yeah. Exactly. So, we, so our method it, works because it's developmental. It's about the way it feels to somebody the first time they pick up the instrument. It's about how they parse the sensory experience, the motoric experience, the spatial experience, the sonic experience, and then looking at the fact that everybody needs a pat on the back. There isn't any one of us when right. we're learning something new that isn't scared out of our wits to fail. Of course. Of course. Right. So everything has to be sequenced for success. That's that's great. So with your with your your background in in um, educational development, what uh, how did the guitar enter your picture? So how how did these two worlds come together for you so that that this happened? So that's the other piece of the story. The NAM background is important yeah. to just keep in mind. With that was the lever. Okay. Okay. The music products industry, our partners in that industry, have been perpetually for 21 years the lever. And without them helping to supply what we need to put into the hands of all of these people, it wouldn't happen. Right, right. Okay. So second factor is that I was a school music educator. Okay. So I was teaching music in Santa Cruz City Schools. Having taught music privately for a million years, I started... I taught my first group guitar class by accident when I was 12. <laughs> I was not a great guitar player, but I've been playing like <laughs> you since I was six. Yeah. And I could manage finger picking and a whole lot of chords, and I could right. sing and play at the same time, and I could write chord charts. There and you go. there was a, a high school guitar elective summer class, and the teacher had 16 high school kids in there and knew I played. I was walking down the hall one day and I got grabbed by the elbow and yanked into the classroom and just said, can you please help me? Said, what do you want me to do? She said, run around and fix everybody's hands. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's fantastic. There was this little 12-year-old running around uh, in this room fixing people's wrist positions going, wow. oh, I'm over my head. But I guess they thought it was cute. They didn't seem to be too upset about being corrected by a middle schooler. <laughs> but anyway, it was just funny that that happened. But uh, 
the guitar in education seems to have had a place quietly with certain teachers okay. forever. So I usually ask a question when I'm teaching one of my own classes and I'll say, how many of you had a special teacher who played the guitar when you were growing up? And you know, Mr. Bedford, my eighth grade history teacher. See? I played with him. I played with him in a talent show once. Yeah, and it was great. It's fantastic. He, yeah, he he introduced me to John Prine. I had never heard of John Prine before then, and we played a John Prine song together. Eighth grade oh, talent see? show. Yep, and it, it made a huge impact on me. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And actually, it's funny. I was telling some of this story um, just this week in in, and I don't remember how it came up, but. I mean, I, I don't ever remember not wanting to play guitar. You know, people ask, how, you know, what, what was this and how, how did you, and as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to play and I started playing when I was, actually I started on ukulele when I was four and got my first guitar when I was six. So, you know, there, there it is. But I, I remember when I was a kindergartner, there was a second grader that bought, brought his guitar in to our class to play songs for us. And I was completely and utterly transfixed. And it's the first time I actually held one in my hands and made sound on it. And I just, I can, to this day, it's visceral. I can remember what that felt like to have the thing resonating against my body. Wow. And I mean, wow. like I, I could still access that memory and it, it just, it hit me like that was it. I was sold, you know, ever, ever since that, that, that. Verse you got your calling there. when you were four years old, you know, <laughs> there's something else, you know, and, and, wow. but it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, that kind of experience, you know, that, you know, asking people if they had a special teacher that, you know, just happened to, to introduce that, you know, and it's, 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 mm -hmm. I, and I, I would venture to say that, that that's a pretty common experience, you know. It's a common experience for kids to have one teacher throughout their mm -hmm. entire education who brought a guitar in and did yep. something with it. It may have been very minor. It could have been a teacher that only taught the gold rush. Right. Right. So they just did gold rush songs. Right. Or it could have been an American history class in eighth grade where they came in and they played, you know, the ballad of et cetera. Sure. Right, right, right. So, or it could have been a camp counselor mm -hmm. who did the MTA song at some right, right. or something. <laughs> but it takes, it takes an adult with a real feeling for music and a feeling for that instrument to open the door. And when I was teaching music, the kids were so excited. They were just, they would just run into my classroom and have a blast yeah. and then leave really keyed up, like just so excited. Right. And teachers started coming to me and saying things like, wow, I wish I could do that. <laughs> and I had one teacher come to me and say, you know, if the kids were as excited about doing their math, as they are about playing music, then we'd really have some successful students. <laughs> and that just got me thinking, well, how could we put these things together and make a winning combination? And that's really where it started. Wow. And did, did you, I mean, the idea of, of putting together it's is guitars in the classroom would you describe that as a foundation is it an advocacy organization is it an educational organization how would what is it <laughs> kind of, it's a lot of things it sure yeah. is it's growing all the time it's got you know it's like 
uh, the uh, Bodhisattva statue that you can see in New Age bookstores, or if you're practicing Buddhist, where the Bodhisattva is balanced on one leg, uh-huh. and they have, you know, multitudinous arms right. in that circle. That's kind of what Guitars in the Classroom has turned into. We are always balancing on one leg <laughs> and doing way too many things. Um, because the need for music is just so diverse and so demanding that, you know, we just keep wanting to try to serve as much as possible. So we're not a foundation. Foundations okay. give money. We okay. don't do that. And we're not a foundation. We don't grant guitars. Okay. People get mixed up and they write to us and they tell me about the music program they're starting and could they please have some guitars? <laughs> and I'll say, you know, fabulous let me put you in touch with some foundations that might be able to help you and here are some of the things we do that are working in our organization to get instruments in and we're always sharing resources and contact it's just a part of work every single day is hey call this person hey write to this person right so we are a 501c3 educational nonprofit. Okay. And we bring together two fields and really a third. Um, so we bring education together with music. And the majority of what we do is called music integration. Okay. It is not called music education. We do not want people to be confused about the difference between what we do and what music educators do. Okay. Music educators teach music for music's sake Mm -hmm. as a rich, historical, creative medium. Okay. So if you're a guitar educator working in a middle school or a high school, you're probably teaching standard notation. Mm -hmm. You're teaching kids to read the treble and bass clef. You're teaching them to play melodically reading single note mm-hmm. melodic lines okay that is not what we do <laughs> okay the thing i created music integration is bringing musical learning to an educational context okay so you could be a middle school english teacher or you could be a third grade classroom teacher or you could be an upper elementary mod severe special educator, or you could be an early childhood educator working in a preschool, or you could be a principal or a superintendent, or you could be the school security guard or the school food service worker and be in our program. Love it. We do not create a barrier between educators, specialists, and classified staff. Right. My philosophy is that any place in a school system where there is music, a child will feel more at home, will feel more welcome to express their musicality, and to consider music a really important part of education and everyday life. Yes. So we don't exclude anybody. It's fantastic. And so it literally is guitars in the classroom. Every Literally. classroom, all the classrooms, in the halls, everywhere. In the nurse's office, in the library, Love in it. the counseling department, in the speech and language therapy office, in the principal's office. 
I love we it. We have bus drivers, school bus drivers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> play guitar and have the guitar on the bus. Seriously, I mean, if your bus blows an engine and you're stuck on the side of the road with 50 cranky kids in the in the bus, a guitar would be a good tool to have. Yeah, absolutely. Oh and my gosh. And you're going to be leading the other day I saw a bear. Right? <laughs> so I mean, we've had my favorite is Miss Dottie in Oakland, who was the school security guard. And her job was to keep those kids safe. And it's scary. I mean, she was doing this in Oakland. It's not an easy right. place to keep everybody safe. And she came and she learned to play with all the teachers. And she said after that happened, all the kids would just run up to her and give her big hugs. Oh, that's amazing. You know, we that's, hear, that... we're told by people in the program, the hug factor goes way up. Oh, that's fantastic. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> music it makes really us better. Is. Cheryl Lavender is a music educator who said, um, um, I think her quote, I'm not going to do it quite right. Sorry about that, Cheryl. But it's something like, uh, it's, it's something like, it's, it's lovely that children make beautiful music, but it's even more important that music makes beautiful children. Oh, my gosh. Whew. I, I just got chills. <laughs> that's fantastic. I, I nailed it. I, I could not agree with that anymore. I mean, that is, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. That's, that's, that's great. That that's, yeah. Wow. So how do you do this? How, how, how do you reach out to all of these people? How do you get in contact with the security guard in Oakland who is using the guitar to help children feel safe? How, like what, what is the means by which you access all of these people? The human heart. Okay. <laughs> it's just that simple. <laughs> it's really very simple. If we say in our biggest voice, which is not a very big voice, we have classes starting. Everybody's welcome and it doesn't cost anything. Okay. Susie tells her sister, Grace. Grace tells her brother-in-law, John. John tells his best friend, Charlie. Sure. Charlie tells his uncle, Jose, Jose <laughs> tells his niece, Serena, you see what I'm Serena tells yeah, her teacher. Sure, sure. And this is what yeah. happens. We have like, I'm teaching a class right now on songs for hope, help, healing, and resistance. And I've had two sisters in my classes and one of them's here and the other one lives in Mississippi. So I have the Mississippi teacher in my class and I'm teaching oh, from San Diego we have educators in that one class. I've got a music educator from Tennessee, a music teacher, and this is the interesting thing about the music teachers, I'll tell you, another music teacher who's great from Florida. And then I've got June, Mississippi, and then I've got a bunch of teachers from all over California. I've had, you know, I can't even tell you all the cool places. We've got a music educator doing this work in North Dallas. Uh, you know, these are like, I'm in touch with a lot of people for the program, but we are training uh, over 1400 teachers a year and oh they gosh. come in over and over again. They don't just take one class, right? They'll okay. take the ukulele series. Then they'll move into the guitar series. In the meantime, they'll take workshops on thinking, things like singing songs in Spanish. Wow. Right. Oh or they gosh. might take a workshop on finger style guitar. Okay. And most of our teachers start as absolute beginners. Like not having played at all before. 73% of the teachers in our program have never picked up an instrument in their lives. Wow. Okay. Right. And, and, but and so the, the one classes. One in five they... are music teachers. Okay. 
that's that's important. So yeah. The deal with the music teachers, just so you understand, we teach in Hawaiian tuning. Okay. So I started, I, I wrote this method. It's been out with Hal Leonard for 20 years called Smart Start Guitar. And we okay. tune the east, the high and the low E strings down to D. Okay. We turn that low A down to a G. Uh-huh. So the guitar is tuned D, G, D, G, B, D. Okay. Dads give dogs great big dinners. Sure. <laughs> that's for you carl yeah i think samson probably <laughs> likes that <laughs> okay so because when we teach the guitar in slack key and that is called tarot patch tuning okay when we start teaching everybody at open g we're starting with the foundations of making music in early childhood which is something that many people miss Okay. And the foundation of teaching music is the steady beat. Okay. I would agree with so that. So we That's have fantastic. to teach percussively. Yeah. You agree absolutely. with that? I, I absolutely agree with that. I, th- I think that's one of the big failings in, in a traditional curriculum of, of, of music instruction is that uh, not enough focus is put on rhythmic accuracy. That's it. And develop, developing a sense of inner pulse and... And all these, it's, it's everything. I mean, as soon, as soon as you define a sound in time, we're talking about rhythm, you know, and everything, and everything that we do physically is, is rhythmic in nature. And, and we have to tap into that. And I think it's, it's, it's something that I, and it, I've always thought it interesting, you know, guitarists by and large learn in a, in a solitary environment, which, you know, even if you have a good sense of time or a well-developed sense of time, it gets really subjective. Whereas, you know, Typically, people who play other instruments, they spend as much time playing music with other people as they do on their own. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, you know, if you're, if you're playing in a band or an orchestra or chamber music or whatever, anytime you're playing with another musician, that's the one thing that we have to agree upon is, okay, well, we, we have to agree, agree upon where the pulse is and how we're marking time. And it's just foundational. And I think it's, it's, it's critical. And I, I think it's something I, I call them guitar diseases. And I think, I think weak time is a, is a significant guitar disease at all levels. I've, I've heard really, really great guitarists and really advanced players who, who have, you know, very strange understanding of what it means mm-hmm. to play in time, you know. Okay, so do you have you ever thought about why that is? Um, I I've always thought it was just related to how people are instructed and the fact that that so many guitarists you know play by themselves all the time that they're not mm-hmm. playing with others and and that it's not in as part of the instructions it's it's not emphasized early enough. I agree with you hundred percent. I think there's some other factors that come into play there, but. Um, I'd say you've really hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Um, the the other things that make it complicated is the sheer complexity of the instrument. Right. If you look at the fact that you've got six strings, mm-hmm. that they're covering a very broad sound spectrum, mm-hmm. that you've got 12 or 14 frets you're dealing with right. to the neck, I mean, to the body. And you've also got both hands having to coordinate. And doing different actions, which I always, I always thought that's curious. You know, I, have, I, have, I have a difficult time playing piano because the idea of both my hands doing the same thing differently is a very strange sensation to me. Like if they're doing something completely separate, 
that it's easier for me to keep them straight. But like when whenever when I was learning piano, I, I always wanted to play things in, in contrary motion. Like when my thumb was going in one hand, and I wanted my thumb to be going in the other hand. I had, and I just I I thought, wow, guitar is so much easier for me because like I can separate and say this hand's doing something completely different. But it's really complicated. Yes, it is. Yeah. And what the the work that the brain has to do to coordinate two hands doing completely different things. Right. is a very, very big cognitive task. Yeah. So our hands are wired to both sides of the brain. Mm-hmm. The thumb is wired to one side. The fingers together, like a mitten, are wired okay. to the other side. Right. So if you just sit with your guitar and you do an alternating bass line to strings five and six, with your thumb, like think mm-hmm. Piedmont, Piedmont Blues. Uh-huh. So just say your thumb is going six, five, six, mm-hmm. five, six, five, six. Now try to integrate an arpeggio or a Travis pick right. in the fingers. And your brain is sending signals from the left to the right, to the left, to the right, to the left, to the right, to the right at rapid fire rates. Mm-hmm. So what does it take to build those neural pathways? Well, probably two weeks in each part of the hand of doing the exact same thing over Mm -hmm. and over and over and over again to forge the neural pathways. Sure. And then the more you use them, the quicker you can get. Right. Put that into the life of somebody who's working a 40 to 60 to 70 hour job or somebody who's raising a couple of kids or somebody who has an extremely busy household and doesn't have a quiet place to sit down and you've got a recipe for failure. Right. There are 9 million ways people can give up on guitar. Right. So, if we can eliminate some of those problems and give somebody the space to do that hand and brain work, mm-hmm. they're going to succeed. But if we're charging them $30 for a 30 minute lesson right. and they don't have enough time to practice in between the lessons, they haven't made any neurological progress. Right. So they go back and they feel like they're throwing their $30 away because they still can't do what their teacher taught them last week. And their mm-hmm. teacher says, I don't understand. Didn't you practice? <laughs> Like, this is just stupidity. Yeah. And and it, the whole thing could be fixed if we shed a light on guitar education yeah. to make it so people could actually succeed. That's why one of the reasons why the middle and high school programs are so darned important yes. is because the kids have a dedicated time and space, and they're with other people. They're not learning in isolation. They're actually right. in a group of kids, and they have a teacher who really cares about them going, this is incredible. I can't believe we get to do this. Right. That's powerful stuff. Yeah, it is. Okay, so I want to circle back to your question a little while ago. Okay. Um, Music educators self-select to come to us because they want a method that their kids can succeed with quickly. And they know that if they're just teaching them to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, three three note hot cross buns on the guitar, for kids who are growing up in a musically sophisticated and complex world full of you know, polyrhythmic beats. Right. This is boring as dirt. 
You're by the way, dirt isn't boring. It's like my <laughs> soil biology. It's not boring at all. That's just a stupid expression I use. Dirt is very interesting. But we could say as boring as a cardboard box. How about right. that? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so the music teachers that come to us are so happy because they can learn this developmental method and immediately integrate it in their music programs. And the kids are playing and singing at the same time. They're accompanying the songs. Then they start to integrate recorder. Okay. So they'll have like half the kids are playing guitar ukulele and they'll have a quarter of the kids singing and a quarter of the kids playing recorder. Now we can start integrating the ORF percussion. Right, okay. And it's incredible what you can do using that ORF methodology or Kodai mm -hmm. If you integrate right. an accompaniment instrument, and it, even sure. in the national music standards, there's a whole thread of education about teaching harmony. Okay. So you can justify the use of guitar ukulele as an accompaniment instrument because it's a harmonizing instrument. Right, right. And it also anchors the ear training in the pitch. Right. Right. So, and the open tuning is do, mi, sol. Right. Sure. It's the same thing as solfege for vocal. Tell me so. Right. It's just right there. So the music teachers have a really good way to integrate it. And they've integrated it with ORF and with Kodai um, music education techniques at the elementary level. And they're very successful. Oh, they just fantastic. come to us and they learn the basics and they run with it. And they're doing all kinds of remarkable things. Um, so anyway, I was brought into LA Unified to work with their elementary teachers. Elementary teachers in that district were given a PD every Tuesday. They got to come in after school and learn something cool to help them be better music teachers. That department just rocks. And so 90 of them self-selected to take wow. ukulele training with me. Okay. So I went uh, up to L.A. because I'm in San Diego. I drove up there for a year and a half. Okay. And did their PDs and met these great music teachers up there. And we had a blast, and they just got everyone only needed 90 minutes of training. Okay. Seriously, in 90 yeah. minutes, they could learn how to play four-chord songs on an ukulele. Okay, sure. Because they're music teachers. Right, right, right. They've already got finger isolation down. Right, right. And they started doing all sorts of great stuff. And we were invited, Guitars in the Classroom, this was so fun. Uh, we were invited to do the end-of-year long half-day PD to celebrate, I think it was in 2016. So I went to Christopher Rodriguez, who's one of the great music coordinators up there, and I said, Chris, what would you think if we could bring Lawrence Juber in to give a little master class to the teachers on that last day? Because it's a really long PD. Yeah. And Lawrence is wonderful. And he said, he couldn't believe it. He was so excited. So I called Lawrence and Lawrence, you want to come? Lawrence was like, absolutely. And then he put Lawrence put together this incredible talk about the history of open tuning, okay. which we have videotape. I have that video. Oh my gosh. And people were spellbound. And you know, he played some Beatles stuff and some right. great jazz standard stuff, and they just were agog. Right. So that was great. And then I also invited Brent Paschke to come in. And okay. Brent has been with Pharrell. Pharrell Williams yeah, yeah. for I think like 15 or 16 years now he's been oh, his guitar wow. he plays guitar with him on the road but Brent also produces and he, he does a lot of stuff and he's really a lovely man so Brent came in and Brent had been working on an iBook with Pharrell on how to teach kids to um, 
arrange and produce tracks. Okay. Uh, with his project called Tuniversity. Okay. So I said, Brent, oh well, what gosh. if we, what if we invited all the music teachers to bring in their primary instrument and play the tune Happy ah. in sections, and they could opt in to do the key part or the guitar part or the bass part. We know that whatever they wanted to do, some of them brought in horns, sure. or they could be vocalists, and. Brent thought that was wonderful. And I laid it out to Lawrence. He was like, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. So then I went back to Chris and ran that up the flagpole. He was like, oh, my God, this is so great. So we had absolutely the best time. We had a half day. And the teachers brought in every instrument you would ever see at an AM show was in that room. And it was a <laughs> center in L.A., which was like paradise. Wow. It, you know, big open vista to the oh, green yeah. and high ceilings. It was like music teacher's dream. And a bunch of the teachers are really serious singers. And so they put the vocal section together and they choreographed it. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. So they all got together at the end. So I taught the ukulele section and Brent okay. taught the guitar section. <laughs> and we brought everybody in and then Brent conducted. We brought them all in. It was like a oh, symphonic oh. thing. How much With the fun. sections entering. Oh, my gosh. Ah. Uh, <laughs> and that was in 2016 you said yeah that's right so i have a lot okay. of that on video actually there was a, my good friend Jeannie myers who runs the my hero project uh another nonprofit that is doing great work in the school she came in and she filmed okay so i have evidence that, <laughs> you know, i should dig it up and put it on our facebook page yeah so people can access it i can send it to you too so oh i'd love anyway, to see it yeah oh my gosh that's where music education comes in is the music educators can self-select to take this method and use it within the scope and sequence that they believe in that their district supports. But the vast majority of the people we teach are classroom teachers and school staff members and learning specialists who did not get much music education. Right. A handful of them did chorus sure. in high school very few of them went past that. Most of them didn't even have elementary music if they're younger, it was defunded, and they never even got general music in ed, in, in grade school. Right, right. That's 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 fantastic. And so, you have obviously you have a curriculum established. How many how many different courses are you teaching? Well, it depends on the quarter. We used to only teach two eight-week sessions in the school year and then a four-week okay. intensive in the summer, but the pandemic changed all of that. Uh, right, of course. The yeah. teachers wanted round-the-clock instruction. They did not want to <laughs> So we had to double our services during the pandemic. Oh, wow. And so now we generally offer 15 different courses every eight weeks. Okay, wow. And we have usually 100... 80 brand new total beginners. Okay. Every eight weeks. Wow. And is that, and is then, that spread, spread amongst those 15 classes or? No, we usually have to teach four sections of total beginner. Okay. And then we teach two. We have a, a program I started called Amaze or Amazing Classrooms. Okay. And it's an acronym, A-M-A. I-S-E for Adaptive Music for Achievement in Inclusion and in Special Education. Okay. So then we also have two total beginner sections of Amaze okay. for people that want to learn to adapt instruction and adapt music for kids who learn in unique ways. 
um, or need particular sort of learning supports in order to access making music. So, okay. so between the four beginner sections, uh, total beginners, and the two amazed beginner classes, we easily have 150 to 180 wow. brand new teachers involved. And then they go into a new level when they feel ready. Okay. So we have a beginner refresh for people that could, they had to stop because something happened in their work life or their family life where they sure. couldn't take the class for a while. So they can come back in with a beginner refresh or they can go into an experienced beginner class. And all of that is on ukulele. Okay. Then we then they can move to strum into standard, which at which point they've got their motoric coordination down for fine motor and gross motor. They can strum different ways. They can change lots of chords. And then the chordal positions on the transition to standard are nearly identical. Okay. So then at that point, we teach them to retune, and they can do the harder fine motor tasks of playing okay. in standard tuning. Huh. Wow. And, and right. so you, it, you said it's, it's, it's an eight-week program. We do eight weeks. We do eight-week quarters, but we only teach for six weeks in the eight. Okay. So that we give a two-week pause. Okay. In between new sessions, and sometimes we have to make the pauses longer because of school schedules, you know, holidays and breaks and right. stuff. Okay. And are so they? So we're really uh, teaching like thirty-six weeks a year. And and how how often are the students receiving instruction? Are they are they in class every day? Is it once a week during the same week? Once weeks? a week. What's... These are very okay. busy people. These are okay. very very busy teachers. We will um, permit them to take one instrumental class and then one other subject. Okay. Type of class if they've really got the time. Okay. We discourage them from taking a ukulele class and a guitar class at the same time because it be confusing. It is. It's really kind of a form of bilingualism. Right. But there are some that really love that and are ready for it, and they can make the case for it, in which case right. I will stop worrying about sure. them and they can get it. <laughs> and how long are the classes? Um, the classes are just an hour. Okay. Wow. But they do a lot, and they're in there with other teachers, and so they wow. have a great time together. And during the sure. pandemic, when people were very frightened, very exhausted, uh -huh. um, the teachers were having to teach online, and they'd never done it before. Right. And then they were working hybrid. Um, what was fascinating there is that we had teachers in red states learning with teachers in blue states. And so the red state teachers had to go back in before there were vaccines. Oh, so they were pretty terrified as a whole mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they were unsafe. And right. there were cases of COVID and we did lose teachers. There's oh, no, you can't sugarcoat this. It was a mess. But they were in there with the blue state teachers who had all the compassion in the world for their situation. Mm -hmm. And so they'd come in once a week and it would be like, how are you? Are you okay? Oh, wow. Um, what are you doing with the kids? And then we would play and the music itself would be a healing force for the teachers and it would get their mind off of all the things that were, were frightening or very taxing. And they'd recharge their batteries and get right back in the classroom the next day and bring the music with them. Amazing. So it was the it's thing that the kids showed up for. You know, a lot of kids hated right. learning online. Right. They couldn't, you know, some kids are wired for it and they loved it. Yeah. But the majority of children, it was oh, so off-putting yeah. and so distancing and lonely 
and the tech was so confusing, especially for the parents who were trying to help them and like manage all right. And then you have that whole dynamic of the frustrated parents, and yeah, that's it's yeah, yeah. But even her little TKs, our transitional kindergartners who were 48 months, were showing up with their ukuleles and singing and playing the morning song and singing a song to learn the lesson. And they were hilarious and they were so happy. So there was joy because of bringing the music. And that was why we had to double. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. So, and all, all before the pandemic was, was all about the instruction in person. Yep. Oh, wow. So you get, you have teachers everywhere in classes yep. everywhere and how like in all 50 states in, no in, we're in 39 how? states right now okay. but okay um but the thing is we have we had a really big faculty before the pandemic okay and our faculty members were spread out in a lot of different parts of the united states but once everything went online a lot of our teachers had to teach music a lot, most of our trainers are credentialed music teachers okay not all but most of them are and so they still had to do their jobs, but their jobs were a lot harder because they had to run right. their music programs online and they really didn't have the stamina given the b- big burdens they were carrying to also do our little thing after school. That was just right. like, get that That's off, too much. Get that That's off too my much. plate. Right. I can't function. I have to get to my 800 music students online. Oh, always. my gosh. So our, our faculty shrunk. Uh, and the people that stayed with us online have gotten to be really good at it. Yeah. Did you have to develop all new curriculum for online or was it, was it, no, we just had to learn to to work within the camera frame. Right. Right. I think that, but if you're going to teach rhythm, you have to do it using just from (laughs) your waist to the top of your head. Yeah. (laughs) And if you're going to do solfege hand signs, you better keep them right there in the camera lens. Right. All your students have to learn how to angle their camera so that you can actually see their hands mm-hmm. and their instrument and their faces. <laughs> That's a trick. <laughs> yeah, the, the amount of time I was spending in lessons with my students, like telling them, no, can you move a little bit to the left? Okay, no, no raise your camera up a little <laughs> exactly. bit. Okay. I mean, oh my gosh, you know, it, <laughs> that that and the whole thing of, you know, if, I, if, I, if I'm teaching a, a guitar lesson to a student and I can just point with my pencil to a, a particular note or a particular measure and say, could you play that again? Yeah. You know, and, and online it's, it's become this, okay, we're talking the third line down and the, the, you know, the second half of the second beat and the fourth measure over, you know, and, oh, you mean the C sharp? No, I don't mean the, you know, and then like the amount of time that that takes is unbelievable, right. you know? So it, it's, it's, that, that was something that, that, yeah, the, the, the virtual thing really, hit me upside the head it's just oh it's 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 like walking through molasses you know everything's just so much slower and and so much more oh yeah kind of and then so. the pinging so they can't really have the experience of playing together exactly of course of course right and, and by part way through of course people had figured out great technology but it meant you had to know how to work the tech and you had to be able to afford the tech right right so yeah. that was a whole other conundrum I'm going to, uh, I've got to plug in my phone while we're okay. talking so that I don't run out of juice. So I'm going off camera for a second. You're going to okay. see my ceiling, but I, I can continue talking with you. Absolutely. Um, okay. So you have 15 different classes and, and uh, uh, eight week, eight week curriculum, um, 
you, you said you're in 39 states. How many, how many, how many instructors? Right now, um, yeah. there are, well, we have different kinds of instructors. There's never okay. a simple answer with guitar. <laughs> the classroom. It's just never simple. Um, so we have what we call faculty trainers. Okay. And faculty trainers are the ones that teach our professional development courses, which is really what we call our okay. guitar and ukulele courses. It's okay. professional development, right? So our okay. professional development instructors, um, we have 14. Okay who teach pretty regularly. And um, it's great to have that many because some people like to teach more than one class or more than one section of a class, but then people also like to take a vacation. So there are enough of us that we can cover all the bases. And then we have a whole other section of the work that we do, which are teaching artist residencies. Okay. And that's a really different kind of work because that's when, um, a classroom teacher has voluntarily been training with us and they really want to learn to implement it hands-on with the children. Okay. So it's not just, they, they're not just a song leader for learning. They're not simply taking out their guitar or their ukulele and teaching a song to the children and having the children write new lyrics for learning. They're actually teaching the kids to play the ukulele. Right. Right. So at that point, it's a very different kind of program. So we also have uh, quite a lot of teaching artists, and we've hired on a lot more from the retiring teachers oh, who have oh, been okay. doing this work in their classrooms. Um, so people people will say to me when they're getting near retirement, "Is there any way I could work for for Gitsy when I when I hang up my uh, my oh, pointer?" Oh wow. Oh, and how cool. we say, yeah, that would be great. And they said, that would be my dream job. And we say, good. Oh, my gosh. Love to have you. Oh, how fantastic that, that is. That's great. That's huh. exciting. So, it's so it's, my... it's, the program's feeding itself in many, many different ways there. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's right. And there's nobody better to teach a teacher than another teacher. Sure. So that's like we hire people who have classroom experience. You know, right. there are a lot of people that could be fabulous guitarists and fabulous music educators. But unless they've had their own elementary school classroom, they right. don't know what the elementary school teacher is going through. So they don't know how to adapt the instruction to make it work with that first grade English language arts unit on stories. Love it. Right? Love how do you it. use songs to teach elements of the story, characters, sure. character traits, yeah. the arc of the story? You know, all of this stuff, how do you how do you use a song to teach parts of speech or spelling? Mm. So if you've been a teacher and you know how to do this instrument, instrumental teaching, you can actually teach right into what the academic lessons are that have to be accomplished. Sure. And then the music, it's the old spoonful of sugar thing. Right. If you can get to <laughs> their multiplication tables, they'll know them for life. Oh, fantastic. That's, that's that's yeah wow wow i had no idea <laughs> it's hard so, to figure out how to communicate it to people yeah. carl you know it's a conversations like this that mean right there are some people that are going to know about this because you can't it's way too much information to put on the website no right you could take it in it's, of course it's, of course the things we're doing in yeah. adaptive music with kids who are in home hospital programs and wow you know we've we've we're working with kids who have very, very, very serious medical conditions and they're too fragile 
or too impaired to be able to attend school. And right. therefore, they are excluded from music. But we've been training specialized teaching artists to actually go into the home and That's team fantastic. up with a parent yeah. to bring music to that child in a way that the parent trains. The child experiences it. We sequence it for doing things like learning to speak, learning to make eye contact, really foundational things that most of us take for granted. Right. It's, and it's I, I, very, I very remember. moving. And, and I'm thinking, I mean, there's there's probably no end in the different ways that this can be integrated um, in, in any possible situation where you're, where you're dealing with, with a child. I'm thinking, you know, my, my, my sister's a speech, speech language pathologist. And she's told me stories about some of the some of the kids that she's she's worked with. And right now I'm thinking, wow, I mean, this this would work in that environment as well. I mean, I think I think probably very well. And, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and the Fantastic. instrument carries it. That's the thing. Right. Understanding. Yes, that adaptation is really beautiful. And when the kid is holding an instrument and feeling the vibration against their body, just like mm -hmm. you did when you were four years old. Mm hmm. That's the transformative moment. The instrument right. does the work. Oh my gosh. Again, I, I have chills. It's fantastic. <laughs> so, every single kid got a chance to have that feeling, imagine what the world would be like. Uh, yes. <laughs> so before we started recording, um, you mentioned publications, you mentioned books that, 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 that you've done. Mm -hmm. And and so to tell tell me about your books. Okay, doke. Um, every <laughs> every so often, a book has to be written. Okay. It's not. I'm not. I don't think of myself as an author. Okay. At all, and I don't spend any time whatsoever marketing anything. Zero. So, <laughs> the books are not really. You have to look around for them. Okay. But I think the first one I did was a, an early childhood music book called Let's Make Music, and I co-wrote that one with Ronnie Susan Schiff. Okay. That is now out of print, but we own it. We have to figure out if we're going to republish it. But that was with Hal Leonard, and it was their first early childhood music book. Okay. And we, That's a big deal. It was a big deal. And actually, Rod Cooter helped me on that project. Wow. And so did Martin, so did Martin Simpson. You know everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. That was an amazing project. Let's make music. Nobody knows. Rye was in the studio with me, uh, figuring it out. And his son, Joaquim, played percussion. Uh -huh. And then Martin, uh, who is my kid's godfather, uh, agreed to, to play and sing a duet on a, on a rewrite oh, of the wow. little star I wrote called In the Garden. <laughs> So that is a hard to find thing, I got to tell you. But in any case, uh, that was the first book. And then I uh, did the Smart Start Guitar book, the first okay. one. And that's still available from Hal Leonard. And that's the basic Open G method. And I wrote it for kids. And there's a DVD that goes along with it that was made a million years ago when I was a much younger woman. Um, and But that's still out there. And people are still getting it and learning to play in Open G that way. Okay. And then I did a bunch of books that are in that series to build out the song potential so that things okay. started with that method. Okay. Then I wrote um, a parenting book 
called oh. Your Musical Child Inspiring Kids to Play and Sing for Keeps. And I did that for String Letter Publishing uh, in 2004. And that took me three years because I did a lot of research on child development in its current state back way back then. Right. Uh, and the overlap with musical development. So that's really written for parents who want to foster musicality in their children at home. Okay. And then is, I is it the Green Songbook. Hmm. What is it? So the, 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 your musical child, is that, is, uh, what am I trying to ask? Is it a workbook? Is it, is it, uh, is it a nonfiction? It's a chapter, like, yeah, it's nonfiction chapter book and it explores okay. subjects like children's learning styles and how to find the right oh, music fantastic. teacher for your kid and how to choose the instrument. Okay. You know, I talk a little bit about what happens to the kid who shows up to fourth grade band and they're told they're going to play the oboe. Right. <laughs> like, okay because they right. don't know anybody they don't know they right yeah it. right they yeah. <laughs> and they sound like a dying mule and they give it up as quick as they can right um whereas if the if the parent said oh i get it my kid's really rhythmic right i can see my kid is using pencils on the dining room table to play beats. sure sure i think my kid needs something percussive Right. And then could talk to the, the band director and say, what could my kid do that's really percussive? Right. And maybe the band director would say, well, eventually we're going to need a timpanist. Right. So let's get this kid on percussion. Sure, sure. Right. Or we've got a kid that's a great, a great baseball player and they have a really strong right arm. Yeah. <laughs> and the band teacher goes, you know, I bet Pete Townsend would have been a great pitcher. <laughs> Fantastic. That's so great. You, you know your kid, then you can advocate for them in the world of music. Yeah. And you're not just filling out an empty chair. Yep. So, so, okay, so that was two th like So that was 2004. Yeah. And then I think, I can't remember what year I did the Green Songbook, but it might have been 2000 eight or 2009 but then okay. um, i put together uh this was a labor of love and we did this one with alfred alfred okay. publishing and that's still around the green song book's really a, i think a wonderful book what, and what's the title all about we, well it's green. about ecology and, okay. and and living lightly on the planet and songs Fantastic. for teaching about the science of the planet healing the planet living in harmony with the planet and so all of those songs very few of them are um public domain almost all of those are songs in copyright so i even okay. got permission like pete seeger helped me with that book because we had to get a release uh there's a lot of stuff in that book but you just have to see what's in there but oh, he helped fantastic. me with that because we had to get to nora guthrie because she was busy and uh -huh. he needed oh my gosh. help clearing because his publishing on his songs had been sold to another publishing company mm -hmm. and and nora gave us permission to put this land is your land in there because <sighs> pete got involved and oh, um so wow. there's all sorts of beautiful there's some incredible fantastic. stuff in that book so that was really great but that was a labor of love and uh, my friend tom wolke did all the, the photography for that um oh gosh and then i did the smart start ukulele book so that's okay teaching ukulele developmentally just by tuning the a string down to a g so that kids are learning from the time they're three or four just to strum on the steady oh. beat Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Over that ukulele before they've got the fine motor skills. 
because you know the coordination for playing ukulele is the ring finger to the thumb to play the C note. Okay, sure. In, in standard tuning, the only way you get that C chord is by doing uh, something that is extremely unnatural. Right. Which is touching the thumb and right. the ring finger, the tip of the ring finger, right. in a loop. But the, the but the um, baby's developmental sequence is to pinch. Right. With right. The so babies finger. start yeah. with the index finger to the thumb. So mm -hmm. that will get you the F note in the C chord if you tune the A string down to a, if uh, the A string down to a G. Okay. So if your your ukulele strings are right, good cows eat alfalfa. <laughs> but if you change alfalfa to grass, you've got right. good cows eat grass. G C E G. Right. So the That's F good. note is on that second string in the first fret. Perfect. You need that. Yeah. to play that chord so anyway it's just development so you get the c chord from strumming down without fingers which is great if right. you're three or four or five or 65 and you never right <laughs> right sure i was, I was gonna say i've, I've seen middle-aged people that that would benefit <laughs> well that's it and that, that's yeah. what we discovered is for teachers who are 30 40 50 who have mm -hmm. never ever played an instrument just getting tone out of one string is sure. it takes everything Right. And if you can play an entire song with on and off, right. of on course. and off, of course. you suddenly are accompanying yourself singing and you can take that to the, the kids in your classroom and yeah. all of a sudden you're singing your lesson and yep. okay. And you go back to your weekly Gitsy class. Gitsy is our nickname. You mm -hmm. come back to our Gitsy class and uh, now you learn to put your middle finger on a string. <laughs> now you can play with two fingers. Yay. Now you can change the position. You're halfway Yay. there. You're halfway there. When you get the third finger on, you are styling. And at yeah. that point, you can play two chords with three fingers. We switch it all to standard tuning. And now you're, you're, you're home free and you can yeah. do anything. Amazing. That is very, very cool. So and we and we and we should we should also bring up because it's something that came up before we started started recording. So the, please pronounce the the small oh, four-string Hawaiian instrument that that you use. Okay, so this is an interesting thing. Um, so there are two ways to pronounce the instrument commonly pronounced. So the Hawaiian syllabication is ukulele. Ukulele. Okay. Ukulele because Hawaiian, you know, has beautiful syllables that repeat right. and not not diphthong vowels <laughs> uku lele so lele is twice and u is twice uku lele ukulele right so in hawaii i can't even say that correctly but i try um <laughs> it is pronounced ukulele but okay. but 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 if you look at the history of hawaii and the um devastating impact of colonialism on Hawaiian culture. You have the Hawaiian people being undermined and their power being taken away by British and American business interests right. and government, right? Sure. So within Hawaii, you have populations of people who are holding on to Hawaiian culture restoring Hawaiian mm -hmm. culture, protecting Hawaiian culture. And yet we have a huge American military presence right. in Hawaii, particularly on Oahu, mm -hmm. 
And I've actually taught at University of Hawaii overlooking Pearl Harbor. Oh, my gosh. Okay. This is very intense stuff. So if you are Hawaiian and you grew up on one of the islands and you learned the instrument name, you may have actually learned it as ukulele. Right because of the colonial influence in your own culture. Right, right. So it just depends on where you're at politically and culturally and spiritually about the importance of pronouncing things in the way that shows respect to the culture of origin, Absolutely. the ukulele. And yet, there are many, many, many Hawaiians that just call it a ukulele. <laughs> right. They're like... You know, it's really interesting yeah. that people are learning to use our language to name the instrument. But when I was growing up, it was just a ukulele. So. <laughs> I guess, right. you know, we, we all we all have capacity to learn and, and, you know, to become more aware of the world around us. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. there are many vehicles for which that can happen. That's, that, yeah. that's great, though. I, I, would say, I, I would say it's worth it whoever you are, wherever, whatever your background is, to learn about the history of the instrument. It's fascinating. It didn't start in Hawaii. It developed in Hawaii. Mm. You know, the, the four-string instrument goes way back. There's, and, there's a Portuguese connection, isn't there? That's right. Yeah. The Cavaquino was the okay. ancestor. Okay. And it's similar, but it's not the same. Right, right. And there's, there's, it, I, I'd have to, I, I, I heard something about this recently and I, I, I hadn't known about, but the, the English, the, the British took it to, to the islands, right? But it was a Portuguese instrument or did it start with the Portuguese? What, how, how did this all go down? I think the, that there's more to this story than either one of us know. Okay. It's just something I, I recently heard about and I was fascinated by it because I never knew any of that, that stuff. And, uh, you know, there's, there are all these, all these guitar related instruments, um, that are descendants of European guitars that, that are different, much different from the guitars mm-hmm. that we ended up playing in the, yeah. in the modern world. And I, that, that's fat. That's always been fascinating to me. And, so, and. Yeah, Lawrence, you should interview Lawrence about this. Get Lawrence on the show because Lawrence, so once Lawrence came and did that LA Unified PD with us, he got roped in by the music department to start a guitar program at Marshall High School. Oh my gosh. He went down there to Marshall and he worked, well, you know, he lives in studio, he and Hope live in Studio City, so it's not a good drive, but he started going to Marshall and teaching the kids and developing a whole curriculum. And then he started doing so much research on the history of the guitar that when he came and he did a master class here for our guitar students at Point Loma High School, he presented this phenomenal presentation that he's got all in a PowerPoint on the history of the guitar from all of its different cultures and origins dating, I mean, dating back to prehistory. Yeah. Wow. So he's got it documented and it's outstanding. Yeah. Wow. And also I would say anybody that's interested in learning about the history of the ukulele, read Ukulele Magazine. Okay. They did a great article. I want to say it was probably two years ago, but we could ask Blair Jackson, who's the editor, um, which article that was. But it was the whole origins, the history of the ukulele. And it def- definitely covered the Portuguese okay. uh, players who played the Cavaquinho. Wow. 
me. Yeah, it's what, what, a, what a rabbit hole we like to jump down here, Carl. <laughs> wow. My, my, my brain is spinning at a thousand miles an hour right now. I mean, you, you, you have just, you have just like opened my head and, and blasted me with a shaft of light. It's, it's, this is, Aww, this is fan, it's fantastic. Awesome. I had no idea. I, I honestly, I had no idea. Like, yeah. Wow. Tremendous. Tremendous. And we're all connected. And, and yeah, and you're and you're doing amazing work. I mean, this is this is really and and far. I mean, this is far more expansive and 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 just more profound than than I could have ever possibly imagined. I mean, it's it's it's, it's yeah. Thank thank you for the work that you're doing, and yeah, it's it's just wow. I mean, it's mind mind blowing, and and I and I can't even over twenty one years the the number of lives that that your organization has changed and, and impacted in a really, really intense way. I can't even imagine. I mean, how, how many, how many students have been through the classes in 21 years? It's easily can you, can over, it's, I would say it's easily over 2 million kids. Unbelievable. Easily. That's but wow. Because look, at, look at, look at what happens. We used to say, um, reach a teacher and inspire a generation. Right. Of course. If you look at education pre pandemic, this is, you know, Teacher, uh, teacher retention is a really huge problem in the United States right yeah. now because the field has just been so rough. It's on been the attacked on, from every angle for so long, and it just not even not even within the profession itself, but I think culturally, you know. And I I, I bring this up a lot in in just the course of conversation with everybody. I think we have spent the past thirty to forty years just beating people up. Um, for wanting to prioritize education, wanting to prioritize pursuits of the intellect, you know, and as a result, we have a generation of people that don't trust science and that don't trust experts and that don't, they don't prioritize critical thinking right. and, you know, and, and I, I, I don't think it spells a, a very good I don't. I don't think it, 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 it right. paints We're a very, a very flattering. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a it's a very yeah. unflattering portrait for our society. And you know, you mentioned that you know the state of decline in in, in education. I think that's a, that's a big part of it. Is you know who who's going to want to put that armor on and step into that battlefield when all they want to do is inspire children and and make the world a better place. Well, you know? if we just keep moving. There are some good changes afoot in the Biden administration for yeah. education. Um, our own superintendent of schools here, Cindy Martin, is the new deputy secretary of education under President Biden. Oh. And Cindy is a huge ad advocate for the arts. And, you know, we owe her a massive debt of gratitude uh, because she actually helped us start our first residencies here in, in arts integration in the classrooms. So, wow. um, you know, without without her advocacy for integrated arts, we wouldn't have been able to learn how to do so much of what we know how to do now. Right. And now she's going to Washington and it's super exciting. We'll see, you know, yeah. what she can do to bring the arts across to the schools. But I think it's going to be a whole lot. Right. That's exciting. That is, that's, that's great. So we hang so I, in, we stay inspired, Carl, and we tell good people, put on the armor, it's worth it, because yeah. you will not only 
feel every single day of your life that you're making a difference for children, but you will do meaningful work. And you just have to be strong enough that when you're told to do something and you don't agree with it, to talk to someone about it. Don't just sit there and do the wrong thing. (laughs) Go talk to your principal and say, explain to me why we're doing it this way. Right, right. Yeah. That, that's fantastic. So we, we're we're about at a we're at about ninety minutes right now, and and I, you've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I think I think maybe we can we can wrap it up. But if if there's anything else that uh, we should talk about or mention, I'm I'm terrible at at making sure that people um, know where to find everybody. So if if you can like tell us where oh, to find. So am I. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. Okay. I mean, so, I know there's the, the, there's the Google machine, but I think, I think I want to give you the opportunity to, to tell us, tell us where to find out about guitars in the classroom um, okay. and f- how to get in touch with you and all these kinds of things. Okay. So um, I'll do that. And, and a little bit extra too. First of all, okay. if you want, if anybody listening to this wants to find out about the teaching guitar workshops, okay, please, please search online for discover guitar Okay. And the teaching guitar workshop information will be at their website at the Discover Guitar Workshop website. That's number one. Okay. Um, if people are interested in at learning to advocate for music education and strengthening our music programs, please check out the NAM Foundation, N A M M Foundation. Okay. Search for that online and they're doing incredible advocacy work and there's always room for more people to jump in there and get educated and help the cause of music ed. So those guys, they're my heroes. If you would like to find about find out about Guitars and Ukes in the Classroom, we're real easy to find. It's just guitarsintheclassroom.org. Okay. And um, if somebody wants to write to me personally, it's just J-E-S-S, Jess at guitarsintheclassroom.org. Easy. And um, we're very, very busy, so please be patient. <laughs> <laughs> but I promise to try really hard to answer emails, and you yeah. might have to email me twice, but I'm doing absolutely the best I can in one human yeah. body. But I will get I will get there with your help. You're, you're, you're doing great. I think you're doing, doing like, we should all be so lucky to be doing so well, I would say. Thank so you. <laughs> thank, you. thank you for taking such a deep interest in, everything going on in this field oh, absolutely. and for reaching out to me, Carl, this is super fun to, this is, this, this is exactly, I mean, this is perfect. Topics. This is, this is great. And I, you know, like I, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, we will get people to listen to the podcast and many more minds will be expanded and, and blown and, and yeah, I'm, I'm and heads will be spinning all over the place. It's fantastic. It's I think it's, I think it's beautiful. great. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. Okay. And I so. want to introduce you, uh, Carl, to Jeff Floro, who okay. has a guitar talk show on LA talk radio. Okay. And Jeff is wonderful. The two of you will go down many rabbit holes together. I'm sure. <laughs> um, and I think his is called, uh, oh, I'm so overtired right now, but it's on talk radio and his name is Jeff Floro. Okay. It's guitar. I think it might be all about guitar. Sorry, Jeff, if I'm mumbling. And um, uh, also, stay tuned to what's going on with the NAMM show, because okay. people who want to learn more about guitar, if you're a music educator, they have special music education days during the show where you can go in and take workshops. 
Also, if you're interested in equity, access, and diversity and inclusion, and you're on Facebook, there's a really good Facebook group called Decolonizing the Music Room. Oh, come on. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, so that's a great resource. And just there's so much happening in the field right now. So I hope everybody listening is going to figure out where you fit and jump in and help us lift because oh it's the big lift we're all doing. But we're, we're making progress. It's beautiful. Thanks so much, Carl. Fantastic. Thank you for, for being a guest. And we'll, we'll have to get you back if, 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 if we can find the time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Jess. This is Carl Wolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Guitar on My Knee podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or Carl Wolwind Guitarist on Facebook. <laughs>